Hallelujah. Ready for living water? All right, we're moving out of a year that had so many distractions, so many difficulties that uh, most people are happy for the new year to come. It's only four days away. Can you survive four more days? All right, we're on our way. So I want to talk to you today about preparing ourselves to enter into the new year and to take full advantage of it. I think we should have done that for this last year. It should have been uh, easy for us in the middle of all of this to know that Jesus is still on the throne. All right? He's still working his works, just like we just sang today. Uh, he is able to do anything that we ask him, and even far more abundantly and beyond that is what the Word of God says. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the rivers of living water. And the idea of living water is to live within us and produce within us the very life of Jesus Christ himself. For us to be alive, Paul said, gives Christ an opportunity to live within us. And so as we approach the new year, I want you just to examine yourselves. I want you to think about what the new year holds. I want us to think about where we are as individuals. If we're ready to move on into the year, new year, what are we doing to prepare ourselves? And so let's turn to John in chapter number 7, verses 37 and 38. I'll read our main text for today. I'll dwell mostly in verse 37, then we'll conclude with verse 38. But it says there, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's God's intent for us. A little bit of background here. Jesus said this on a particular day at a particular time. And I would just put this kind of in, in focus for you. There are three major feasts that we find in the Old Testament. There are more than that. Uh, I like the Old Testament because they had a lot of holidays. You like holidays? Just take time off. And uh, in the Old Testament for Israel, those were days to concentrate on who God was, on what he is has done and what he wants to do in our lives. And if we would do that with our holidays, wow, I think we'd be so much further ahead of ourselves. But anyway, these three ones, uh, where everyone was required to come to these feasts, the unleavened bread, which is the Passover, significant in the deliverance from Egypt. The second one is the Feast of Weeks, or what we call Pentecost. And then the last one, the one we want to talk about today, is Sukkoth, or Sukkah, and that is the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, it's just a, a wonderful time, and it's at this time that Jesus said what he said here in John chapter 7. In this time, uh, they actually build tabernacles outside of their homes because God wants them to be reminded of where they've come from. We should never forget the life that we lived before we received Jesus Christ as personal Savior. We need to remember how dark and how dismal and how uncomfortable it was. I don't know about yours, but uh, I've told my kids I was on my way to jail. Uh, that's just where I was going. Uh, I, the things that I was doing were just totally out in left field, and uh, I was in trouble. But God saved me. God redeemed me. And I'm not in jail. It's fun. <laughs> Uh, anyway, they built these tabernacles, and if you drive through Muncie, you'll see, especially during the Feast of Tabernacles, they actually build these things. In fact, this kind of looks like a tabernacle up here today. If I had three walls and I've had some little bit of covering on the top, this could be a sukkah 
where they would come and that they would recognize what God has done for them. He took them through the wilderness as they came out of Egypt, out of slavery, on their way into the promised land. And they lived in Sukkot, they lived in tents, and he didn't want them ever to forget that. And that's why the Jewish people still build these things outside of their homes. And this was an eight-day feast, an eight days where they would come out of their homes, out of their comfortable bedrooms, and live in a tent, and have a, a ceiling that really wasn't there. It was very scattered. It should let the rain come in. It should focus on the fact that we could have contact with God. And so the whole idea about this is to remember what God had done. God delivered them from slavery, brought them out into the wilderness, provided food for them, even though they complained about the food that he provided, he provided more food, and if you look into that, some of them came with judgment. He provided water for them, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit because that's the main thing I want to share with you today. But he provided healing for them as well. As they traveled through the wilderness, their shoes didn't even wear out. Forty years. Ladies, wouldn't that be wonderful? You wouldn't have to go and buy so many shoes. I mean, they just didn't wear out. The, the stuff that they had was sufficient, and God kept them all the way through that. But the primary thing was their relationship with the Lord, and that's why they didn't fully cover the sukkah. They left it open so that they could think about who God was. I mentioned in the first service, I, I'm from the Midwest, and so uh, do things a little bit differently sometimes. I even talk differently sometimes because of that. But anyway, do you know that chickens have a difficult time drinking water? What they have to do is go down and fill their beaks with water and then they can't swallow it until they lift their head up and look toward the sky and then it runs down their throat. They have to give thanks to God for every drink that they have. Isn't that wonderful? So let's be like chickens. Let's take, and everything that God provides for us, we give him thanks because he deserves our thanks for everything. And so we work on what God has done within our life. Well, these verses uh, become very important to us. And uh, let me take you to uh, Isaiah in chapter number 12, verses 2 and 3, because during this sukkah, they would actually read from, particularly Isaiah, to encourage the people and to anticipate what God was going to do. He says there, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song. They had did a lot of singing during this time. And he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. And what they actually did, the priest would go down to the pool of Shalom. They had these golden vessels that they would reach down into the water, fill their water, their, their golden uh, pitcher with water. Then they would walk through the city all the way back up to the temple. And there in front of the altar, they would take their golden pots of water and they would pour it out on the dry ground. This is kind of the culmination of this celebration that they, that they were doing. And they would sing songs and they would joyfully thank God for all that he'd done in their life. And uh, it, they did this every day for seven days. And then on the eighth day, that last great day of the feast, that's when Jesus spoke up. The next verse here in Isaiah 55, he says, Ho, that's a Christmas verse, by the way. 
Okay, oh, listen to this. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. God wants to do something in our lives. And sometimes we have to get out of our comfortableness to get into a sukkah where we're reminded of everything that was happening before. We get so distracted with our comfortableness and with the stuff that we have. I don't know about you, but I always get too much stuff for, for Christmas. Uh, anybody get too many presents for Christmas? It just, I mean, when you have a lot of kids, they, they come and give you stuff. And uh, they ask me what I, what I want for Christmas. I say, nothing, I don't need anything. And so most of the gifts that I got were dark chocolate because uh, they know that I like dark chocolate. So I've got more dark chocolate. It'll last me a whole year. Uh, I don't have to need anything else. <clears throat> anyway, God provides for us, and Isaiah tells us that. And if we go back to that verse in John chapter number 7, verse number 37, he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I want to just take that today and, and help us see the progression of even what Jesus was talking about. You know, Jesus didn't have a small voice. I said in the first service, this reminds me of Pastor Carl. Pastor Carl, when he was preaching, he sometimes would get loud. And uh, he would sit so loud that you couldn't sleep. You had to come to attention and say, whoa, what's going on? And uh, I just loved that when he did that. Uh, I'm generally not very loud. Daniel can be pretty loud sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but we need to get our attention to what he's saying here. And so I've really broken it down into these three steps. It's being thirsty, coming to me, to Jesus, and then finally, drinking. So let's talk about being thirsty. The first one is a beatitude. I think you probably know this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Isn't that wonderful? He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. We need to have a thirsting after God, a desire to come into a deeper relationship with him. Always that's what's happening. The word of God says he's changing us from glory to glory into his likeness and image. And the only way that he can do that, if we will be thirsty for him, if we will be hungry for him. And so Jesus lays this out in the Beatitudes. <clears throat> the second one I want to mention is in John chapter 4, about the woman at the well. Jesus went to the woman. Uh, they happened to be there together. She came out in the middle of the day because she wasn't very respected among the people, so she had no friends to come to the well with, so she came all by herself. Jesus was there, and his disciples had gone into the city to uh, prepare for some food and bring back to him. <clears throat> and so they're there together. And Jesus turns to the woman and says, would you give me a drink? And she kind of said, whoa, wait a minute. You're a Jewish man. Why would you ask me a Samaritan? We don't have relationships with each other. Well, he said this in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What? What is this all about? He says, 
This, this is what's going on here. He goes on and says in the next couple of verses, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. That sound like a good verse to you? She was excited. She says, I'll take that. I won't have to come out here to the well any longer. I won't have to carry it all the way back into the city. I won't have to be alone doing all of these things. I'll never thirst again. Yes, give me that. God in Jesus was giving her something more than what she came to the well for. And I don't know about you. I don't know what you come to church for on Sunday mornings. I hope it's not just the routine of going through a process. But I hope there's something of thirst inside of you. I hope that even you would pray on Saturday, preparing your heart to say, Lord, what do you want to do when we come together on Sunday? Is there somebody you want me to talk to? Is there some need that I can meet? Is there some way that I can serve? Is there something that, that, that you want to accomplish in my life? Am I thirsty enough to come into the presence? As we're saying here, he doesn't stop working. He keeps on. Are we aware of what he's doing? We need to prepare ourselves. How is it, brethren, when you come together is what the word of God says. But one has a psalm and one has a hymn and one has a spiritual song. And we have testimonies to share one with another. Don't leave so quickly when the service is over. Walk slowly through the lobby. See who's around you. See if you shouldn't talk to somebody. See if there isn't some connection that God wants to make. Because we are members one of another. We need one another. And we need to be thirsty enough to open a conversation and talk to people, pray with people, share with people what's going on in your life. A lot of things happen when the body of Christ comes together. And it ought to be something that we would enjoy. I know there's some at home, and God bless you at home. I know God can use you there at home. There is the telephone that you can call people and interact with them. You can even pray over the phone, you know that? There's all kinds of things that we can do to interact one with another. Let me just encourage you, wherever you are, to let God open your heart to see what he wants to do. Well, <clears throat> let me take you a little bit further here. It says here in Exodus, chapter number 17, verse number 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may be able to drink. Wow. God provided everything in the wilderness. Moses was told to go and stand there, take his rod, hit the rock. They were all complaining that they were thirsty, which is a good thing. Okay? We need water. And so he struck the rock, and out flowed this water, enough to feed three, four, five thousand people plus kids. That's a lot of water. The stream didn't stop. And so they went on, and in the book of Numbers, chapter 20 and verse number 8, again they're complaining about no water, and God says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation, and it says, speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and the beast drink. So he says, I'm going to provide for them, but this time, don't take your rod and hit the rock. Just speak to it. 
God got a little bit upset about this one because I don't know about you. You ever get frustrated with people? Once in a while? Well, Moses got frustrated because they were constantly complaining about one, one another. And it says in the scriptures that we shouldn't complain about anything. And so we want to fulfill that too, right? So he got frustrated and he says, I'll show them. And he took his rod and he hit the rock twice. Well, God is faithful. Out came the water. All the people were able to drink. But God then says to Moses, Moses, you didn't obey me. You can't go into the promised land. And for that one thing, God says, you're going to have to die on this side of the river. You can't go into the promised land. You see, he ruined a beautiful picture. The rock is Jesus. We see that as we go through the scripture. And as the rock was struck the first time, out came water and salvation. But after that time, you don't need to hit the rock again. Jesus can't be crucified again. You just talk to him. And as you speak to him, God answers you. And he shows you great and amazing things that you know not. When you're thirsty, you need water. Our bodies are made in such a way that when we fast, you can fast for 40 days and not eat anything. Anybody ready to fast in the new year? Ready to prepare your hearts? Okay, I've never fasted for 40 days. When I get to the fifth, sixth day, uh, that's about as far as I've been able to go. Uh, and then some crumbs need to come along or something needs to satisfy. <laughs> but you know you can't fast drinking water. You can't do that. Our bodies were made full of water and you have to satisfy that and drink water. If dehydration comes to us, we're in trouble. And if 15% of our water in our bodies is depleted, we die. Just 15%. You can't live with, without more water in your body. It does all kinds of things. It lubricates all of our joints. <laughs> it takes care of so many things. Our brain is 80% water. You ever think you had water on the brain? Well, you really do. It's full of water. Our blood is 80% water. We have more water in us than we can imagine. We can't do without water. And I think that's why Jesus came and said, water is so, so very important to you. And so be thirsty. Drink in as much water as you can. He says, by the way, I have living water to give to you, and you'll never thirst again once you take and partake of my water that I have for you. What a beautiful illustration that is of Jesus. When Jesus comes into our life, he provides for us everything. He meets all of our needs. He takes care of us. He really does. And so when we come and get thirsty, he takes us on to the next step. And the next step is come to me. Now that you're thirsty, now that you've been interested enough to take that step, then come to me. He invites us continually to come to him because he has the answers of life. He's the one that's in charge of everything. He today is on the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Did you know Jesus was praying for you? Have you ever wondered, Lord, what's your prayer for me today? What's your idea of what you want to do in my life? If he's praying something for us, maybe we ought to ask God what is on God's agenda rather than our agenda. So we need to come to him. 
It says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He promised, just come, come to me. The Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus. She didn't come and wave at him and say, here I am. She just came in the crowd and came up behind him and touched the hem of his garment, which was an act of worship. And when she did that, she was healed completely. Jesus sensed virtue going out of him, and he says, stop everything, somebody touched me. And his disciples said, you're in the middle of a crowd. A lot of people touch you. He said, no, 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 somebody touched me. And finally the woman raised her hand and he said, it was, it was me. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt everybody, but I, I needed something from him. I wanted to worship him and I knew if I touched the hem of his garment, if I came to him, that I'd be healed. That day she was completely healed of her sickness. What a wonderful thing. Jesus can do anything, even when we don't see it. He's still working. Even when you don't feel it, he's still working. We need to be in contact with this God that doesn't stop. You know, he doesn't sleep. Hallelujah. You ready for heaven? <laughs> you won't have to sleep there. You don't need to sleep. That's kind of disappointing to me. I like sleep right now. I'm sure I won't then, but I like it now. It's, it's, I get exhausted. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go to bed sometimes. And I, I, I go to bed and sleep very quickly. And uh, my wife sometimes is frustrated with that. But anyway, you can come to him, and when you come to him, he will meet your need. He'll give you rest. That's what he promises. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> the, the woman at the well when she heard everything that uh, Jesus had to say, you know what she did? She went into her town and she said, come, see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. I mean, talk about this woman. She'd had five husbands and the one she's living with wasn't her husband. Everybody knew that. Says, who's this guy that talks to this woman? The whole town came out to meet Jesus, listened to him, and said, now we believe, not because this woman told us, but because we've heard you. They came to Jesus. Their lives were transformed. Samaritans. Jewish people didn't respond so quickly, <laughs> but the Samaritans did. Oh, it's amazing what Jesus will do if we come to him. Here's one. The demoniac one full of demons, one who would break the chains that they tried to somehow corral him with. And he ran off and lived in the country all by himself and nobody wanted anything to do with this guy because you couldn't do anything to him. Jesus goes by that area and he comes to Jesus. He begins to speak to Jesus knowing who he is because the devil knows everything about Jesus. And as he's talking to Jesus, Jesus reaches out and heals him and commands the demons to leave him. And he comes back into his right mind. And the people look at that and say, whoa, what just took place here? What we couldn't do even with chains, Jesus does with a word. What can Jesus do? Nothing is too difficult for him. He's able to do whatever. We just need to come to him and come into his presence. It says in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me 
will never thirst. Over in Luke chapter number 9, verse 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, it's a little bit difficult here. He says he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, coming to Jesus isn't just to bless our lives, although he does that. But if you get into coming to him on any kind of a regular basis, it's no longer going to be just about you and your blessing. Have you found that out yet? <laughs> he said, if you come to me, if you're really coming to me for who I am, you need to deny yourself. Now, it's a good message to take this into the new year because Christmas and Thanksgiving, we didn't. Anybody deny yourself over the last week? No, you totally indulged yourself. We all do. We eat too much and then we have to go on to diets and all kinds of things. We didn't deny ourselves. And Jesus said, if you're really going to belong to me, you need to deny yourself. It's no longer going to be about you. It's going to be about others. Because I came to serve and not to be served. So if you want to be my disciple, you need to find some area to serve in. And you need to deny yourself and think about other people. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 19. Kind of like, I'm sorry, verse 16. Kind of like, for, like the Gospel of John. We know that one, 3.16. But it says in 1 John, as Christ laid down his life for us, we likewise ought to lay down our lives one for another. That's the Christian message. We come to Jesus because he has so much to offer us, so much to bless us with. But there comes a time in our discipleship where it's no longer coming to him because we want to be blessed. But we come into a deeper relationship with him and we see that God wants to take over my life. He wants me to recognize it's no longer about me. It's really about him. So we need to deny ourselves the word of God says. It says that we need to go even a step further than that and we need to pick up our cross. How many like the idea of picking up a cross? Whoa. Little suffering comes with that. Little difficulty comes with that. He didn't come to just bless our lives. He came sometimes to break our lives. And out of the brokenness, out of the brokenness of our lives, he uses those things to glorify his name. He uses those things that we might identify with other people. He comes and does things in our lives so that we can be compassionate toward other people that go through the same thing. We need to see that he has something more in mind for us than what sometimes we have in mind for ourselves. <clears throat> Pick up your cross and then follow after him. What's Jesus doing? When he calls you to follow him, how do you, how, Jesus, where are you? I, I'll follow you, but how do I do that? I can't see you any longer. Well, we need his word, we need prayer, we need to be sensitive to people's needs, and God says that he'll direct us and he'll show us where we need to go. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And he says, that's the life that we're living, so we need to follow that voice and do whatever he's calling me to do. I was never struck so strongly with one verse in the Bible where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I don't go anywhere unless the Father tells me where to go. 
I don't do anything unless the Father tells me what to do. I don't say anything unless the Father tells me what to say. Wow. Is that following God or is that not? We need to take some time and say, what's on your agenda? What, what, what do you have in mind today? Where, what direction do you want me to go? Can we step away from our comfortableness and into the sukkah and say, Lord, I need you. I need you to speak to me. I need you to direct me. This is the Christian message. This is what we come together for, is that we might learn about Jesus and we might allow him to come into our lives, transform us according to the way he wants us to be transformed. You know God's overall plan for us? He says, my purpose for you is to change you from glory to glory into my likeness. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to do things like him. He wants us to say things like him. He wants us to be little Christ, so to speak. And that's why they call them Christians in the first place is because they were like this Jesus. And it stuck. We still call ourselves that today. We're Christians because he lives within us. He is our life. Goes on in John chapter 3 and verse 28. He says, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Wow. There are people that don't want to come too near to Jesus. Remember when I was first saved as a young man in the church and I'd go to youth group and we'd talk about God's plan and uh, many of my friends in youth group would say, I, I want to follow Jesus, I, I want to come to him, but I don't want to go too far <laughs> because if I go too far, he's going to ask me to do something that I really don't want to do. That ring a bell with anybody? <laughs> and I, I, I listened to that and I said, why are we Christians then? Why are we surrendering to him? If we really don't want to do what he wants us to do, are we just playing church now? Or what, what are we doing? And I never understood that. Not, not that I was perfect and not that I always did what Jesus wanted me to do, but that was my understanding. Once you surrender to him, he's in control and you're not. And so I need to find out what his purpose, what he wants me to come for. And whenever I feel reluctant to come to Jesus, I need to examine my heart and say, what's going on? <laughs> what's in me that isn't right? What do you want to change? What is it that you want to redirect in my understanding of you? So we need to come to him so that we might truly be his disciples. And the last thing he says, he says, if you're thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He has something for us to even get deeper in, and that is drinking that same cup that he drank. If you read in John chapter 6, verse 54 and 55, it says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. People were listening to that and said, he's lost his mind. He, he's gone over the edge now. What is he talking about? And when people heard this, it said many left him. That we, we can't understand this. Do you know what we're going to do next week? We're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to take the bread, and we're going to say this represents the body of Jesus Christ. Then we're going to take a little cup, 
And we're going to say this represents his blood that was shed for us. And we're going to identify with drinking of the cup that Jesus himself drank of. In the garden he prayed, Lord, if there be any other way, rather than drink the cup that you prepared for me, he says, that would be great. But he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And he went to the cross and he drank of suffering and difficulty with God placing upon him all of our sin. I can't imagine that. My sin, your sin was laid upon him. And when he died there on the cross, he died for us. And we celebrate that. We celebrate at least once a month. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse 24 and 25, Paul is reiterating the, the words of Jesus and he says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. We're to drink the cup that Jesus drank. He wasn't talking about something weird. He was talking about our understanding. What is my understanding? He was crucified for me. Is it possible that God would want to have me crucified for others around me? You ever get upset with any people in your family? Probably not. You're such nice Christians. <laughs> I did talk to somebody this last week, and they said, I said, what are you doing for Christmas? He said, anything but going home. What do you mean? It's home that you want to be at. He said, no, I hate my family. I don't like them at all. I'm not going home. I'll do anything else. Ah, what's going on? You see, he did that for us. People are not likable sometimes. You know that? They're just not. They're different than we are. They're, they're frustrating sometimes for us. They think differently. They do differently. Oh, the political thing? Don't even bring that up because we're not going to get out of here if we do that. You just can't. You need to love people like God loves people. And it's not Democrats and Republicans. God is sitting on the throne. He's the one that's in control. They're not. The Congress isn't. The lawyers aren't. It's Jesus. And so no matter what's going on, we need to trust him. Really do. Jesus lived under the Roman Empire. Glad I'm not living under the Roman Empire. I mean, whatever he said went. He could have Christians crucified, burned at the stake, whatever he wanted to do. His word was law. Huh, at least we're living in America. <laughs> it's different here. Well, let me go on here. <clears throat> if you're thirsty, that means you're curious enough to say, Lord, what, what's going on? What's your agenda? And your thirstiness is your step toward him. And then is coming to him. That means you're more convinced that he has the answer that you need. And then finally, if you're willing to drink the cup, then you're committed. I don't know where you are in the process, but maybe some of you are just here because you're thirsty. Maybe you're not even thirsty yet. <laughs> but you can be. Think about the things that God wants to do. Be convinced that he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings because he is. Think about being willing to be committed wholehearted, surrendering everything to him, saying, God, I'm your servant. Anything you want me to do, I'm willing to do. Wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to go. Whatever you want me to say, I'm willing to say it. 
That's where he's leading us. That's where he wants us to be. So let me read this last verse here. Verse 38 says this. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You see, when he comes in, he's going to explode something on the inside. Stuff you never thought about doing, he's going to enable you to do. And it's not just one river. Notice it's plural. There's many different rivers that he wants to flow out of you that's going to bless other people. Just because of Jesus, look at the people around us. He's blessed all because of the rivers that flowed through him. And he says, I want those rivers to flow through you so you can touch people's lives, so you can be a different changer of people and show them the very love of God. The last verse says this. I didn't mention it yet, verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Everything that he does, he does by the Spirit of God. He comes by his Spirit, speaks to us, fills us with his gifts, promotes us into life itself, and gives us the abilities that go beyond our abilities. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God came within us. And out of that, he erupted these rivers of life and brought us into a total change in our life. He transforms us by the Holy Spirit. Are you thirsty? Are you willing to come to him? Are you willing to be totally submitted and drink what he has for you? Stand with me as we pray. Then we're going to sing a song. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that your word is simple and true. Lord Jesus, you came to bless our lives, and yet your desire for us is so much more than to bless us. You want to use us. Lord Jesus, you brought us into your kingdom that we might be your servants, the servants of your church, and the servants in this world. You called us to be salt and light. So wherever we are, there would be a change within not only our lives, but a change within other lives. Lord, as we approach this new year, I pray that you take these words, help us to understand there's more in life than what we've already experienced, that we might surrender you to you fully and allow you to have your will in the way in our lives. Be glorified in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.